0: intent and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue thanks for listening welcome back everybody to another episode of sunny side up i'm your host asher matthew and i'm super excited to have trisha gelman on the show with us i'm going to talk about behind the scenes of growing your career The way I know Trisha is because every Sunday morning, 5 a.m., I get this one email from Trisha that talks about CMO 2.0. I think it's CMO 3.0 right now. But Trisha, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. So I, as you said, I'm Trisha Gilman. I'm the CMO at Drift. I've been at Drift for a little over a year and a half. Um, I have grown my career starting out as a graphic designer, actually. When I will date myself, we didn't even have computers. And so um, I never thought I would actually be a marketer. I thought I was in my optimal career of graphics um, back in the 90s. And luckily, I um, had a great relationship with Apple. I started my career in marketing and was told at Apple that I was a marketer, not an evangelist and have grown my career from then. And I'm, we'll talk about it as a jungle gym, not like a straight career path. But honestly, I think maybe that's part of the CMO 2.0 is it's not a straight path. There is no straight path anymore. And I think if the last year taught us anything, it's about being adaptable and amenable and really looking for what matters to you and and making the best out of it.
0: Fantastic. So, This podcast has, I think, about seven or eight thousand people that listen to it, but they're all in VP level jobs or above, right? Or they're about senior director level. So they're about to become an executive or they're early executives on the path to grow, to become a senior executive. And we've been on a series where we talk about how do you unlock yourself and prepare to become a senior executive? And I think it's important because not much is written about it. And everybody just says it's all about relationships. And I believe it's all about relationships, right? But I would love for you to share the the steps or maybe the path you took to become an executive and to become a CMO?
1: Yeah, I think um, there isn't a clear path, I would say, but there is um, one thing that I think you need to do, and that is with yourself, you need to check and ask yourself, what do you care about? Do you care about the part of marketing that you're doing right now or a part you did before? And really like the skill and the capability of doing that. So for example, I spent a lot of time in product marketing. I love product marketing. Product marketing is in a heyday right now where people actually understand the importance of messaging and positioning, not just about a product feature, but about the impact that can have for the entire company. And you know let's say you're a senior leader in product marketing do you want to do product marketing do you want to mentor other product marketers to do product marketing do you want to grow the impact that product marketing has let's say with go to market and with the you know demand team and others and is that your passion or do you want to lead do you want to take on things beyond product marketing and really thinking about Like, how is this company going to grow? How are we going to work together as product, as sales, as customer success? And how are we going to build the culture of an entire company? Because if you don't have a passion about those things, then you're not going to be happy being a CMO. I mean, like you really have to give up a lot of the time and energy that you're taking today in your like individual function uh, to be that C-level leader.
0: Fantastic. And so... I guess if we were to break this down, and and you're Trisha Galvin, you speak with a lot of marketers, right? And 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 people want to understand how Drift uh, uh, built their brand, how what are they doing next, et cetera, et cetera. But as you speak with VP level folks, right? And and I, I say at VP level because it's more about the substance than just the title. The title just recognizes the substance in in a lot of cases, right? And so so what do those people have that then sets them up for greater things or what maybe what do do those people need need to have to set them up for greater things?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, there are people who end up in leadership roles because they're just really good at doing their one thing really, really well. And then um, companies invest to put people underneath them. But I think one thing you have to have is a passion for people. You have to be excited about waking up every day and helping to build a team and build that cohesion within that team. Um, The other thing is that I think, you know, you have to have um that ability to think outside of your own domain. You have to be able to think of how are you going to work with others and how are you going to create that win-win to help to bring change and bring like broader teams together to achieve goals. Because I think, You know, the success that you're going to have in your career is not going to be because you say it. It's going to be because other people say it and because the um, outcomes actually demonstrate that success.
0: Yes. I'm just going to add to that, right? It's everybody will say that it's all about relationships, but it's not all about relationships once you've become a VP. It's actually all about relationships that you're on the path to becoming a VP and then. Once you are a VP or you're at that level, your own values become extremely important because you have the option to align and work with people that share similar values. And if you don't consciously think about that, you should. And you need to find those people and then be in that environment because a lot of times you're not going to be able to get your idea through And it may not even be the right idea to go through because three months later, your idea is going to come up to the table anyways. But it's about supporting everybody else and creating that psychologically safe layer or or, uh, environment so people can express themselves to you. And then there's your learning and then there's their learning. And the collective learning actually propels the business forward.
1: Yeah, I think a key point in what you're saying there is that, you know, um, I learned this very early, not early, I should have learned it earlier, but now that I'm older, I feel like it was early in my career Um, that you you may have like the exact idea of how you're gonna be successful and what needs to get done. But honestly, if that's the case, you're gonna fail. You need to have the idea with the buy-in from the other people who are gonna help you to actually make that idea successful. And if you can work together with other people, Then you can actually, you know, move mountains, and you can really be successful and help a company succeed. But if the only way that you can be successful is on your own, then you're not going to be successful as a leader, and you're not going to be successful in the initiatives that you try to push forward either.
0: Hundred percent. And and so one of the things that people have talked about in this journey is to hire people that are smarter than you, right? And I think I think that's like a recruitment process, right? You can kind of go get through that through recruiting, right? But leading them is actually, again, an introspective, at least in my opinion, decision, uh, or it's a personal decision that you're actually gonna go do this and and you have to consciously again do this. And so what are your thoughts on that?
1: I actually think that this can become um, an entire limiting factor for VPs in their ability to um, be successful as VPs and move to the next level, because if you, cannot hire people that are smarter than you, especially if you're in, let's say, B2B SaaS hyper growth, you're not going to be able to go fast enough. If you really have to learn every single thing yourself to then tell other people on your team what it is that you need them to do and or that you're in this mode where you always have to tell people what it is they need to do, you're moving too slow. You need people who are empowered themselves. They have the frameworks to be able to make the decisions and to understand, yes, this is the best way in the world. World with the technology that's available to me or the budget or the resources or whatever it might be to go and to make those decisions and to move forward. And so it's inherent on you that you put your ego aside and that you're open to learning from and collaborating with people who are smarter than you to move the business forward.
0: I love that you use the word ego there. And for our listeners who are Let's say struggling with that. And again, like like to me, like ego is defined as having an agenda, right? And being being happy about it. And then some people become extremely proud about it. And then you get to that land. So if you unpack just like the, the the framework of ego, maybe that's actually another podcast. We should totally go, to, go do that. But but you have to like unpack and understand what's happening, right? but if you really understand what's happening uh, there was uh, there was something that was that took off last year uh, and the words were growth mindset that was used right and so if our listeners are curious about how to develop a growth mindset i would say listen to the podcast that we did in early january because we covered that topic in a lot of detail with a lot of senior leaders but ego can a lot of times is construed uh, negatively But it can be channeled positively because I don't know about you, Trisha, but I would actually love to work with people that have an agenda because then they've thought of something. Because the worst thing is I'm sitting at a meeting and we're looking at each other and saying, well, so what do you think? And like, like, no great ideas come after what do you think?
1: I think that's a fine line, right? I mean, I think a lot of people that are very successful have a very clear agenda. They make it known right away and they push for their agenda. And I think that you can do that while at the same time, like bringing other people along and having these other people say that know more about a specific discipline than you do. I mean, it's almost like you want that, right? You want to say, hey, like, this is my bus. And this is where we're trying to go. Like we're going north, southeast, or west. And like, this is the direction. But at the same time, we could go northwest. We could go northeast. Maybe there's like a little turning of it, but we're not going backwards, right? So no. you have to kind of be the person who's willing to lead in a specific direction. Have a little bit of like, Wiggle room there, but not like abandon the direction unless through the process you prove that it's 100% wrong and like you were totally had the wrong idea. But I think it's important to have conviction and to be able to speak up and to drive the conversation. I think you have to do that with confidence if you're going to lead. Otherwise, it's very hard to get other people organized and getting on your bus. The question then is once you have people on the bus, like what is the caliber and how fast can that bus go? And that, I think, comes back to the you know caliber of people that you have. And I think there's actually a second side to it, which is your insecurities. The further you go up in the leadership, the less people you have that are kind of similar to you and doing the same things that you could just bounce ideas off of and kind of share in that process of getting things done. And so you're at the top of this pyramid and you're kind of looking in around and you're like, whoa, like the air's kind of thin here and there's not as many like people like me. So then you realize, oh, I need to hire these people that know more than me. But like, what does that expose about me? You have to put that aside. You have to say, it's okay. I'm not going to be exposed as this like person who knows nothing because I'm building a great team. In fact, the opposite is true. The better you are at hiring, the more sort of rapport and respect that you get from other senior leaders.
0: 100%. I also always optimize for fun because if there's no fun in the conversation, then it's better to just stop it and then revisit it later on, right? <laughs> because you clearly don't have the attention and then anything you say, depending on how the other person's feeling is just going to be taken in, in different ways and, and you're just going to lose people, right? Now, Let's look at the reverse of this, right? Which is how do people that are VPs establish trusted relationships with people like yourself that are CA level?
1: You mean like if they're working for the person or if they like just want to... If never... they're not
0: working for that person, yes.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that honestly, like I've really enjoyed like going even during the pandemic into like other sort of um, leadership groups and um, and just, you know, talking and having network sessions and sharing in terms of like what's happening. I mean, I have my podcast and I have my newsletter and I read a lot. And I think, you know, finding people who have a point of view and having that conversation and just talking through the topic, it helps to kind of solidify in people's minds. Like, what is your brand and what are you about? And I think that's the first step is to like have that point of view to kind of share out into the world. And then back to where we started, like understanding where you want to go.
0: Yes, I'm going to also double take on one thing that you just said. If you're a VP, you're expected to have a point of view. So if you've not learned how to have points of view, don't become a VP, right? Like <laughs> it's, 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 it's just going to be extremely frustrating for you because all the other VPs in the room are going to have a point of view and they're going to be well-read they're going to be researched. Some of them may just be trying to, you know, fly by the seat of the pants. It's, it's okay, but you will need to have a point of view so that you can build that relationship and move that point of view forward. And then you'll see quickly how points of view start aligning in conversations and you create momentum. And it's a feel, right? Like, like every one of these situations requires a feeling a muscle and you have to develop that and you know sometimes vps get fired multiple times it's okay you know like like you cannot be
1: afraid yeah i mean i think that that's a really good point too is i mean being able to show the opportunity that you have had to fail and what you've learned from it is key to success and being able to talk about that i think when when i interview people and when i'm talking to them about their career growth and they can't talk about a failure. Like that's a red flag.
0: Yes, 100%. Before
1: I talked about how I learned early in my career, maybe too late about, you know, bringing on others. And that's a huge, that was a huge failure for me. You know, really trying to drive forward initiatives without the right people uh, being a part of it, without bringing in a larger group of people. It goes slightly slower when you do that. And that's frustrating. If you're that type A person that's like, get it done, get it done, get it done, like actually spending the time to get the buy-in and the alignment from other people is hard. But if you do it, you can do so much more together. And so like, that was a big failure for me early in my career was like, I didn't do that. I just had my checklist and I'm like, I'm going to check it off. Like, go, 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 go. That's going to be my success. That's how I'm going to get promoted is because I have a huge checklist that I can show that I completed, but it's actually very thin then. And the impact is not as broad.
0: I I would also say at least in B2B technology, this is a very small world and Different people get to different places in their careers based on the choices that they made, plus the people who they associate themselves with. But everybody that made it somewhere always had their values pretty clear. They knew what they stood for. And it's okay because the larger group is pretty, actually pretty forgiving in with people who are trying to figure themselves out as long as they do it ethically and transparently.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, to me, ethics is like one of the most important things. And I mean, I've, I've shied away from certain companies or, you know, I I even left a company because I just feel like I can't work with these leaders. Like it doesn't align ethically to what it is that I feel is okay. Different people have different thresholds, like, you know, different people have different thresholds for risk. But for me, like that is like a huge thing. And I always want to be transparent, maybe too transparent. But I think like that's something, and we've learned, you know, in the past year that, our lives are just blending, personal, private, you know, work, everything. So the more transparent you are, I think the better yep. and the easier it is to kind of move forward um, in, in your leadership. And, and that authenticity of leadership is so important as well in building the trust within your teams.
0: Yes, 100%. So when you do go wrong, right, how, how does one repair things?
1: I mean, I like back to the authenticity. I think when you make a mistake, you fail, whatever, like the word might be for it. I think you have to call it for what it is and and then build a plan of like, what are you going to do next? And I think then that's where, you know, that relationship that you have with as a CMO, your VPs or with the other C-suite as well is really important that you basically are able to say, hey, like this isn't working. What this is something's wrong. And like, let's call it for what's wrong. Let's learn from it. What are the things we learned? And then let's figure out like, what is the plan to repair?
0: So which brings the next very important part of being a VP is you're also paid to make decisions. You know, you're not paid to delay decisions, stay in no decision land, right? You have to very clear in your point of view, you're never gonna have enough information and you have to make decisions. If you do not make a decision, you're never going to be able to support the person above you who gave you that slot. And, and, and then the whole thing kind of goes in a spiral and nothing good comes out of it.
1: Agreed. Decision-making is very important. And I think, you know, um, especially in startups, like I think the audience here is a lot of people in startups. I think what you said about not having the right information, it's always going to be the case. And I think I'm always kind of working with my VPs to say, yeah, like what you're saying you want is great, like we've seen this movie before, we know, you know, when the company is like $20 billion, like we're gonna need to think about those things. But today we're here, we're a 400 person company, we have X number of resources, et cetera. Like what is the decision we need to make today to actually put this in motion so that we're actually moving forward, continuing to move forward and making progress?
0: So this is great. I mean, you know, we should like actually do this in real life, like sometime at some show, we should just like have a fireside chat. but. <laughs> This is interesting because a lot of times people go from large companies to smaller companies and they get the title, which is great. But the muscle that is required to sustain yourself in a small company, understand the fast pace of not knowing things, right? Like like these are things people consciously have to think about, internalize, actually more importantly, speak to their families about it. Because when you're irate about situations in fast-growing startups, uh, because you just don't have the same level of benefits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, these things are going to come up. And it's better to just be prepared for them and have your family prepared for them so that they can support you and and just be transparent with other executives and just say, here's where I'm at. And it's going to take me three months to kind of get acclimated into this new environment, and then we'll be great. Thoughts on that?
1: Um I mean I think that there is a big change that it just depends on your role. So let me start over. I think if you're coming from a big company into a startup and a hypergrowth startup at that, I think one you need to realize that you thought you understood pace and speed and now like you're in a whole new wake up call. Like pace and speed in a hypergrowth yes. startup is something that just doesn't exist in a bigger company. But a lot of people, like personally, I came out of a bigger company. I was the square peg in the round hole in the bigger company. I was like the builder within like smaller teams. I was almost like running startups within a bigger company. And so there are people like that that can very quickly move from a bigger company to a smaller company because like you're already trying to like carve a new path. I think that's the biggest difference. Like you were mentioning before we got on this call, somebody that was going out of Google into a startup. And if you've only worked at Google and now you're going into a startup, like I've heard the story from other people. It's like, you don't realize how much momentum you already have just being Google. You show up to anything you do. You're doing an email, you're doing a sales call, you're doing anything. And everyone already knows, oh, you're Google. You come in rainbow colors, you own these seven markets, like, you know, whatever it is. And so you're past that and you start the conversation and you start whatever you're doing with a preconceived notion from everybody and with a bunch of momentum that's already there. It's like a ton of trust and everything else. When you're in a startup that stuff doesn't exist in a lot of cases. And so you have to realize that you have to, and especially as a VP, you have to build all of those things. You have to say to yourself, like, what does it take to build the trust for what I'm doing with the people internally, but also with the market externally? What does it then take to get them to see where I want to go? And so there's a lot of building that I think people coming out of big companies may overlook.
0: Yes. And if you're in a big company, you know and you have to make decisions and you have to experiment i shared this tip earlier in a different podcast i'm pretty sure i'm going to get like emails about this one <laughs> but if you're in the core business do not experiment cuz the core business is not set up to experiment do it in a, in an in an acquired business or some unit something like that and bring people together do a workshop and, and talk to them about the experiment and, st- and things just so that you can get the right data points to bring back to the core business because all the other stakeholders are going to be extremely conservative and they're going to want to look at data points. And if you're a, a person who likes to try new things out, it's going to be tough and you're going to cause unnecessary friction where you can literally just take this and go do it somewhere else bring it back and see if it worked in this, in this area, at least we got some calibration and we should go do this in this area. And that will help you uh, build your VP level relationships at a large company.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think um, in, when I was at Salesforce, I mean, one of the big things was really spending time with the um, rest of world country leaders and understanding what are they doing? Because that part of the business, like every individual country it added up to be a large part of the Salesforce business, but individually it was not like gonna be a massive you know, impact in a single quarter or something like that. And so there's a lot of different things that you could see as almost experiments. And you could take and say, well, you know, in the UK, they're doing this and it's working really, really well. We should take, you know, 10% of our budget in the US or North America and and start trying to do it to see if we could replicate it. because the impact, you know, it could be 10x given the size of our market, if it, if it would work here, but not vice versa. I think your point. I,
0: I love that you have like real stories to everything that we're kind <laughs> of sharing as concepts. Yeah. I mean, this is what, this, what makes this podcast a little different is because we share actionable tidbits. So, all right. And so, it
1: goes back to ego though, that too, right? Like if you're in the big market, you're the VP at Google at Salesforce and you're in North America and you have like the biggest product, the biggest revenue. And then yes. even like if you're in North America at Salesforce, there's like at this point, probably 18 products that they're selling. I don't even know they have so many. Just because you're owning the biggest revenue product doesn't mean you can't learn from the startup that you guys bought six months ago, you know. And yeah, like the VP at that startup maybe has less years of experience and hasn't owned like the biggest budget. But like there's no shame in going and learning from those people and looking at what people have been able to do and then really trying to adapt that into the larger part of your market.
0: Yes, hundred percent. I think I think that this is this is a key key lesson for people on the other side of the let's call it tech company evolution uh, uh, curve. Maybe it's the right word, right? Because you're already in the mature mature business and mature market, and so it's actually your job to support other people.
1: Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean that's part of being a leader as well.
0: Fantastic. Well, uh, we've covered a lot of amazing. Pointers, and I hope as people are listening to this podcast, and we have lots of emerging cedar uh, leaders across the world that are listening to this. Do you have a resource, Trisha, uh, outside of your newsletter that we all get at five AM in the morning on Sundays? We, we're, we're there, you know, that you would recommend maybe a book, a blog, a website, a video to every all of our audience.
1: I mean, I don't want to be like selfish about um, Drift, but I think, I mean, there's so much to be learned from our CEO, David Cancel and the yes. Seeking Wisdom podcast, which we recently restarted during the pandemic. It's oh. filled with nuggets of leadership, of, you know, um, great marketing. I mean, there's just so much to be learned from Seeking Wisdom. I would just recommend that people, um, if, you know, they're listening to this podcast, so they're interested in podcasts. So Seeking Wisdom, I would put on your list.
0: Fantastic. So we always ask our guests to share two or three other people who they respect in other go-to-market or data science that we should bring onto the show. So do you have a few names for us that you want to give a virtual shout out to?
1: Um, I mean, I would uh, talk to Carrie Lou Dietrich. She ran corporate marketing at Atlassian during IPO and hyper growth and now is a coach to CMOs and so has really great perspectives across multiple companies and different sizes. And so I think that that's a great perspective for a lot of the topics we've talked about, but just, you know, really having big purview. Um, the other person, another CMO that I really respect is um, Sarah Varney at Twilio. And, I, and she's just great to talk to as well.
0: Fantastic. Great people that you hang around with. This is great. Uh, (laughs) Hey,
1: I mean, that's important, right. right? It's part of your brand.
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. As we close the podcast, there are people in the audience that will want to connect with you. What would be the best way for them to reach out to you if they have questions?
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm in LinkedIn a lot. And so I would say like, you know, reach out to me in LinkedIn. I'm not the best at actually, um, Accepting connections, because I get a lot of requests for connections. But if you follow me, and if you comment in anything, like once we have this podcast go live, I'll promote it. And if people make comments there, then that's a great way. And once we kind of start a dialogue, I'm happy to connect with people. I don't really believe in just connecting because someone asked to connect. It just gets too noisy. Um, And it's so noisy that I actually don't find the connection request. So if we have a conversation in LinkedIn and then um, we can talk about connecting, I can go in the opposite direction and connect to you.
0: Fantastic. And I would also say this to all the folks out there, and I do this every single time a C-level executive is on the podcast. And again, sometimes I get chastised for it. But if you're going to send a note to somebody like Tricia, please be specific. Do not write a vague note because she can't help you.
1: I agree. Yeah. The more specificity that you have. And um, and then also, you know, just also like relevancy. I mean, I give the same coaching to like our SDR organization. Like, don't just send a note, like show that you did the research, that you care, that you understand the person, um, and then you'll have a higher return.
0: Fantastic. Well, Tricia, thanks so much for joining us on the show and uh, best of luck with your journey.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.